If you've been around a while, you know that I often introduce my message each week with a story or a joke or a quotation or a question, and it's my way of trying to draw everybody's attention uh, to what the Lord is going to tell us in His Word. But this morning, I'm not going to do that. Uh, what I'm going to do is uh, let Jesus tell us a story. And so if you are uh, able and you would like to stand right now as I read uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 35 down through verse 48. This is what the Word of God says. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Let's pray. God, our Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to receive the truth of your word, and that having seen it, it would sink into our minds and hearts, that we might live in light of it. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you'll look carefully at the text, what you'll see is that Jesus is doing what he often does, which is take, take a principle uh, using a story and teach that. And then when he is questioned about it, to explain the story further to drive home the point. So, We'll look first at the story that he tells in verses 35 to 40. What's the point that Jesus is making in these verses? It's that those who follow Jesus need to serve him energetically, awaiting his imminent return. Now, something about this story ought to stick with you. When is Jesus telling this story? Is this before his crucifixion and resurrection or after? It's before. 
In fact, depending on how you reconstruct the chronology of Luke, uh, it's at least a year before he went up to Jerusalem and was crucified. And so in telling this story, Jesus is telling his disciples four very important things. He's telling them, first of all, that there will be a future time when he is gone from them. And two, that he will return. And three, that he will reward his servants who are eagerly waiting for his return. And fourth, that his return when it comes should be expected at any time. Now I want to look with you at each of those four points. First, there'll be a future time when Jesus is away. Now that is probably not as shocking to you as it would have been to Jesus' disciples at this time because we are living in that time. Amen? Right now is the time when Jesus is away. Uh, between His crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension in the first century to His return at a time that we do not know. We're living in that right now. And second, Jesus is coming back. Jesus compares it here to being like a master who went away to a wedding feast. Now, Jewish weddings are typically a multi-day event, usually seven days, but they could be longer, they could be shorter at times. Uh, and you did not know exactly, therefore, when somebody left for a wedding, when they'd be home. I mean, it's very different culturally from, from what uh, we would expect, right? When I do a wedding, I mark off the whole day so that I can be available to the bride and groom and that kind of thing. But I know that if the wedding is at 2 o'clock, even if the reception goes long, I'm going to be home by 6. Right? I can tell you when it's going to be over. Well, why? Because I know that, okay, well, the wedding's at 2. It'll be over by 2.45 at the latest reception will probably go about an hour and then the bride and groom are going to want to get to their honeymoon and there's going to be a, a, a relatively short duration on this but the Jewish wedding is much more extended than that at least in, Je in Jesus day and so it could be a couple of days could be four or five could be seven could be eight or nine when's the master going to be home well who knows? He's got to travel there. He's got to come back. Uh, how long is it going to last? Well, we're not really sure. Uh, well, the, so Jesus is using a figure that makes sense. Or I'm going away for an undetermined period of time, but not an unlimited period of time. Amen? There is a definite end. We just don't know when it is. Uh, you knew the time and day they started, but when they might end was indefinite, but not unlimited. And the end was certain. So the point of Jesus' uh, teaching here is exactly that, that his return, while indefinite in terms of when, his return is nevertheless certain. Jesus is coming back for us. Don't forget that, men and women. Jesus is coming back for us. It will happen. No matter how long it's been or how long it might yet be, Jesus is returning. And a third part of this is vital, and I want to linger on it for a minute. Look at how the servants 
behave if they are expecting the master any minute now? You see what it says? They stay dressed for work, verse 35. They've got their lamps burning. In other words, uh, they've got their boots on. They're in uniform. They aren't in their PJs and slippers. They keep the lamps burning. The ancient world was lit only by fire, and you are so you had these oil lamps. They weren't very big, but you would you would have these little oil lamps that you would keep burning through the night. And you normally put them out when you went to bed, which you normally went to bed after it got dark. But if you were expecting someone, you stayed up. And you kept the lamp burning. You didn't normally stay up to what Jesus in verse 38 calls the second or the third watch unless you were expecting someone to come, possibly then. The second watch uh, in Jewish reckoning is between 10 o'clock in the evening and 2 in the morning. What I would call the middle of the night, right? And then uh, the third watch is between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m time when uh, you pray that you only see those numbers on the clock once, right, during the day. No one is hoping to be awake at 3 a.m. But nonetheless, if you're expecting someone to come, you will stay up for them. And if the master, especially if you're a servant, and your master is coming home any minute, you keep all the lights on all night long. So that as soon as he hits the patio, you can swing the door open and say, welcome home, right? By the way, we do the same thing. I've got three kids going off to college uh, over the next couple of weeks. One of them left two weeks ago. Ashley leaves tomorrow, uh, and we will have tears and the tearing of our garments and all of that as she leaves. And then in two weeks... Uh, we have to send John off, and uh, there will be. Um, we're still trying. We're still trying to wrap our arms around that. Okay, so pray for us. Um, John's going to be fine. Mom and Dad, not so much. But in any case, every time one of our kids leaves, we 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 just are torn in half because part of our soul is walking around outside our body. It's just the way it is. But when they come home, do you know what we do? I can tell you what we do. We go to the store and we buy ice cream and cookies and pot stickers and egg rolls and pizza. We go a little bit nuts, right? Why is that? Because my child is coming home. The one whom I love is entering back into my house, right? And so we celebrate. When Karen's gone for a while, you know what I do when on the day she's coming home? I swing into action. I get, I get, I get the sheets clean. I get fresh towels in the bathroom. I wash the rugs. I make dinner. We make sure that the red carpet is rolled out. Why? Because the woman I love is coming home. And so we don't have to live on brats and Oreos anymore, right? Uh, we can, we can, 
we can act like human beings again and we can enjoy this one whom we love so much. Well, if Jesus is coming, that's the idea. The one whom you love is returning for you. Then you should act just like that. So that when he returns, he will take great joy in you. In fact, the Scripture says here that He will switch roles with us. Though He is the Master and we are the servants. Amazing thing. Fourth point Jesus is making, and this is also vital, is that Jesus' return is imminent. Now that may not be a word that you are familiar with, but it, it means that it is certain and it can come at any moment. Can come at any moment. Uh, we don't know when, but it could be at any time. And the point of Jesus' comment in verse 39 and 40 about, about Jesus' return, his own return, being like a thief in the night, that's, that's the normal figure of speech that Jesus uses. He says the return will be like a thief in the night. Um, why a thief in the night? Because you don't know what time he's coming. If you do know what time he's coming, you, you sit with the, with the police on speed dial in your driveway with a shotgun across your lap, right? Because you're prepared for the thief to come. You know he's coming at that time. But if you don't know what time he's coming, then you have no idea, and that's how thieves break in, right? Uh, Jesus says that when he comes, it'll be like a thief in the night. And so you need to be watching and looking. And to conduct your life in such a way that if he comes at any moment, that you're ready. That you're ready for Jesus to come. To be so prepared that we do not experience loss, but we experience overwhelming blessing and joy and, um, and we experience that because we have been serving Jesus faithfully this whole time. So when he comes back, we're like, the one I have looked for my whole life is here. And you will receive, if that is you, you will receive his extravagant reward. Look at verses 41 to 43. At this point, Peter raises a question. And his question in, in verse 41 is, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for, for us all, for everybody? Um, and I think he's wondering if Jesus means to address just the disciples as the leaders of the church that Jesus is founding, or if he's talking in general to everybody who might follow Jesus and not just leaders. Um. You'll notice if you read carefully that Jesus doesn't actually answer the question. In fact, he answers with a question and then another story. <laughs> he never really directly says. Um, in verse 42, Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? That, that question seems to point to the idea that he's talking about church leaders. 
But the answer isn't done yet. And the answer in verse 43 and 44 is, Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. And in verse 44, Truly I say he will set him over all his possessions. That seems to imply that it's somebody who's not already in a position of leadership and management. So who is he talking to? Everybody. Everybody. It doesn't seem limited to church leaders. And on top of that, as you read Jesus elsewhere, he consistently speaks of every single one of us, not just church leaders, as stewards or as managers, as the text has it here, of his gifts while he is away. And so with that in mind, don't miss the extravagance of the reward that's here. Do you see it? Being faithful to serve the master with his gifts while he is away results in exaltation to the highest possible degree. You see that? Look at verse 44 in your Bible. It says, truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now, have you thought about what that really means? To be set over all of his possessions is to have a, a position of, a, of authority and responsibility just below the master himself. Do you remember when Joseph was appointed just below Pharaoh? And he has charge of the entire kingdom except for Pharaoh's own affairs? Everything else is under Joseph's management and rule. This is that kind of position of rule and authority that Jesus is saying, if you are a faithful servant of his, he will give to you when he returns. Now, now let me magnify that just a little more. What are the things that Jesus owns? Have you stopped to think about that? Let me be clear. All things in creation belong to the Lord Jesus because He is the Creator of what? All things in the universe. And so when it says that He will set Him over all of His possessions, what are we talking about? Are we talking about some little dusty, sandy corner of the universe called Egypt, like Joseph? No. We are talking about ruling the universe. In other words, further than this kind of a position of rule and authority, there is not possible to go. The Master will set you over, what does the text say? All of his possessions. You and I, if we are faithful to follow Jesus, will be the vice regents of the created world. Does that blow your mind? If it doesn't, it should. Amazing. 
Is this a good reward? To have eternal rule over all things? In comparison to a, to temporary obedience in a short over a short period of your earthly life? I think that is a safe assumption, yes? The scripture says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. In a similar way, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says it this way. For I consider that our light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outshines them all. You and I, with our still fallen minds, cannot even, in other words, comprehend. We can't even imagine what kind of reward Jesus is talking about here. For those who are faithful to Him. But there are alternatives to being rewarded. Amen? Uh, the rewards given to those who knew their master's will and joyfully did it in anticipation of his return are unlimited, essentially. But there are, are alternatives, and they are stern, and they are God's judgment. If you look at verses 45 to 48, there are three categories of unfaithful people. The first category is the person who gets the hardest judgment. This is the person who knows the truth, but then rationalizes his or her sin because they think they've got plenty of time before Jesus returns. And so he or she mistreats other people and uses the master's gifts to satisfy his or her sinful desires. They eat and drink and get drunk on the master's wine. They... Uh, beat their fellow servants and they just say, you know what, uh, you know, he's been gone a long time. I can always repent later if I want to. Uh, that, by the way, Jesus is saying is a very dangerous thought indeed. This is also, I think, the person who becomes a leader in the church and abuses the sheep under his care or treats them like a means to his own enrichment. And do you see the judgment that comes down here? Jesus says that the Master will come at a time unexpected, cut Him in pieces, meaning in half. That's not clear from the text. Which, what does that do to you? It radically shortens your life. We'll just put it right there, okay? Put that servant to death and assign him a place with the, what does the Bible say there? My Bible renders the word unfaithful. But the word in Greek, if you look at it, is the word a-pistos. Now, you don't need to know that, but you need to know this. Prefix a is the word for without, minus. The word pistos is the word faith. In other words, with the unbelieving. This person might claim to be a follower of Jesus, 
They might have a good stated theology about Jesus' return. But Jesus, the text says, judges them not to be his servant regardless of their claims because their actions reveal a heart that never possessed authentic faith. In other words, what you, what you are eventually rats you out. And it comes to the surface. And if you're a believer in Jesus, that shows up. If you're not a believer in Jesus, Jesus is not deceived by what your mouth says. And so all unbelievers even those who claim to be believers will be assigned a place with those who are unbelievers. That's here. Second category of unfaithful servant is verse 47. This is the person, it says, who knew the Master's will but did not get ready for it or act according to His will will receive a severe beating. I think here the person, the person, the kind of person Jesus is talking about is the kind of person who grew up in church maybe or had a godly grandmother or dad or mom or sister or friend who shared the gospel with them and tried to help them to find and follow Jesus, but they just rejected it. And they decided to live for themselves instead. Maybe they weren't bad people, comparatively speaking, like the folks in the first category. But they were people who nevertheless were taught better by someone, should have known better, and should have responded, therefore, in faith to the gospel, but didn't. Jesus says such people receive a severe beating. More on that in a second. And finally, verse 48, there's a final category of person. Their judgment is comparatively light, uh, to use Jesus' terms, a light beating. These are the people who are unbelievers, but they've never heard the gospel. They never knew anything about Jesus. And then he concludes with a statement, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. The point here is that Jesus is most assuredly going to be gone, but he is also most assuredly coming back. And when he does, he will evaluate every single person on this planet. To quote the old creed, he will judge the quick and the dead. The living who have received eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ and those who are spiritually dead for all eternity. And Jesus will judge them both. And when He returns, your degree of reward or punishment is dependent upon two factors. One, did you know about Jesus and His return and what his will is for your life. And number two, what did you do with that information? If you knew and responded in faith 
to the gospel you were given, and then that results in joyful, energetic obedience to the Master. And it also results in using your gifts to serve your fellow servants and to watchfully prepare for his return because you love him and you want to please him. That's what Christians do. We want to please the master because we love him. And we want to serve other people because that's what Jesus calls us to do. And if that's you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, it's such great encouragement for you because you will receive essentially unlimited reward from Jesus on the basis of your faith and your obedience to His will for your life. But if, on the other hand, you fit into one of these other categories, There are not words that I can use that are strong enough to warn you that God's judgment is coming. And in that case, there are degrees of punishment in accordance with your behavior. This is what the Apostle John is talking about when he writes in the Spirit's inspiration in the book of Revelation. And he says, I looked and I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne and books were opened and another book which opened, which is the book of life. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was judged according to what was written about them in the books. In other words, if you respond to the gospel, there's reward and blessing in the presence of God. If you didn't, then the first question that's going to be asked is, did you ever hear it? Well, if not, and you live like an unbeliever lives, then there's a relative, there's judgment, but it's relatively speaking lighter than if you heard and rejected what God had given to you in grace. There are degrees of punishment in accordance with your behavior. The more you know, the more of the gospel you have heard and rejected in unbelief, the more accountable you are, and the worse and more flagrant your sin, despite that knowledge, the more harshly you will be judged. In other words, Jesus is giving in this passage both strong encouragement to His people and stiff warnings to the unbelieving. To those who believe in Jesus, He is encouraging us with the promise of His coming. He says, my reward is with me. Elsewhere in Scripture. And His reward will or outweigh any pain, suffering, imprisonment, martyrdom, mocking, death that you might experience. You go be a missionary to some unreached people group and they throw you in prison, beat you every day, and then ultimately execute you, guess what? You have unlimited reward on the other side of that. 
They hang you upside down by your ankles for three years as they did Adoniram Judson, such that he was scarred to a point he could barely walk the rest of his life to preach the gospel in the country of Burma. What's his reward? Far better than that. If, on the other hand, you are a person who has come regularly to Chillicothe Bible Church where the gospel is preached and you are told if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and believe that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life and you say, I want nothing to do with that. I'm going to go live my own life. I'm going to let my freak flag fly. I'm going to do what I want and nobody can tell me different. Friend, let me tell you with all of the love of Jesus to turn away from that decision and that pathway. Because you cannot stand before a holy God on the day of judgment with that decision in mind. It will not go well with you. Jesus will not be deceived. And He judges both fairly and with a holiness that cannot be bought off by anything other than His blood applied to your sin. There is no one in this room in this last category of someone who's never heard. We have all heard. And on top of that, we have in this country, we live in the most uh, abundantly accountable time in world history. The Bible is in more languages today than it has ever been. You can get it on radio. You can get it through the internet. You can get the gospel in places where there are no churches through the radio, through the internet through friends, through word of mouth. You and I have access to more Christian books than will fit in this building one copy of each one that has been published in the last hundred years. You can stack them floor to ceiling in every room of this building. Christian books. And new versions of the Bible are such that you can, you can pick what you want out of 200 different versions in English on an app on your phone and fit them all on there. Are we accountable for what we know? Yes. So men and women, if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for your salvation, today is that day. The Scripture says today if you hear His voice, do not Harden your hearts as Israel did in the rebellion. You don't know what today holds, what tomorrow will bring. Cemeteries full of people who, who had big plans for the future. They died in a car crash. Or had some other terrible thing happen and they were gone in less time than it took to write about it. And you don't know how long you have. 
and you do not want the master of the house to return before you are ready for his return. This is very, very serious. In fact, it doesn't get any more serious than this because the gospel is life and death. Life through faith in Jesus, death through any other path that you might pick for yourself. It is wonderful news for those who receive it. Amen. It doesn't get any better news. But for those who reject it, no news could be worse. That you are under God's judgment and his holiness will not be appeased. So, here's the question that I'll leave you with today. When Jesus returns, what will be your response and your reward? Will you respond in dread like people in the book of Revelation who call out to the rocks fall on us and to the hills cover us? Save us from the wrath of the Holy God. Or will you stand before Jesus Christ, the righteous one, with great joy? Because you have finally met the shepherd of your soul whom you have loved your whole life. Will your faith in Christ cause you to rejoice and celebrate because the one whom your soul loves has returned for you and is coming to lavish his blessing on you and to take and to, to appoint you the one who is served instead of the one who's been serving? Did you see that? It says that the master. will say to his servants, sit down while I serve you. Can you imagine that would be like? The book of Hebrews says, we are not among those who shrink back at his coming and are destroyed. We are those who welcome him. And I pray that's true for every single one of us. I want it to be true. Of every one of us, I don't want anyone to walk out of here not knowing for sure what will happen on the day that Jesus returns. And I want it all to be joy instead of judgment for every one of us. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, when Jesus tells us the truth, He tells it in a way that we cannot forget. Father, I pray that we would not forget, but that we would hold fast the truth of the word that he has given to us, remembering that he is the most prolific preacher in all the Bible on the doctrine of eternal judgment and hell and separation from, from you because he knows that we don't want to go there. Not when eternal joy could be ours instead. Father, I pray that that would be true of us. That there would be no one who would miss the grace of God due to an unbelieving and unfaithful heart. 
Father, I pray that we might all believe in Jesus Christ. And through our faith alone and Christ alone, receive the new life that Jesus promises to every person who will receive him. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.